Hello, and welcome to the Orthopod. My name is Liam Fernando Canavan. I'm a medical student at the University of Melbourne, and this is a podcast where I'll take a history from experts in orthopaedic and musculoskeletal medicine. Associate Professor Michael Ponsford is a rehabilitation physician at Epworth Healthcare with over 25 years' experience in traumatic brain injury, orthopaedic and orthogeriatric rehabilitation, as well as offering superb teaching to medical students in the principles of rehabilitation medicine. Michael is also the Director of Training at Rehabilitation Medicine Training Victoria, the governing body for providing training and continuing education to rehabilitation medicine fellows and trainees. Welcome to the Orthopod Associate Professor Ponsford. Thanks very much, Liam. It's great being here. Thank you. So you're a long-suffering Melbourne supporter. Uh, Despite all the challenges that comes with being one, 2021 was obviously a pretty good year for you. However, you couldn't be there in person to see the Ds get up in the grand final as the game was obviously uh, in Perth. Uh, So some people listening might be connecting the dots here with your surname being Ponsford and the Melbourne Crew Ground, etc. Could you tell me about your connection to the G? Thanks very much, Liam. Look, it seems you've done your homework really well, so that's uh, that's great. So, look, I think uh, 2021 was a great year for the Ds. Uh, it was one of those years, I think, uh, well, after 57 years, I guess we were due. <laughs> so uh, the stars seemed to align and uh, well, well coached a good team and the boys were obviously very determined. So really fantastic uh, that they had that win over there. So... And it was a pity that I couldn't get to the G. I think I've been uh, at grand final since about the mid-70s and uh, it's usually seeing your team Richmond win every year, Rich, uh, <laughs> Liam. So it's, uh, it would be great to get there again, well, hopefully this year again for, for, the, for the Ds. Um, I always think about the, the grand final and I guess the, uh, the highlight for esteem and supporters is seeing if one of our uh, players can win the, win the, the uh, sprint at half time rather than <laughs> anything else. So... Um, yeah, the, the, the G is a special place for us. Um, Bill, my grandfather, was a, a cricketer, um, opening bat for Australia in the 20s and 30s, and uh, he um, made two 400s actually there at the G. So when the, the Melbourne Cricket Club named the stand after him, it was, it was a real honour uh, for, for our family and uh, a, a special place. So hopefully uh, we can see a, a bit more footy and cricket there this year and uh, hopefully a grand final for the Demons. So, um, yeah. Hopefully against Richmond and then Richmond obviously win. Uh, don't know about that. <laughs> we, we might have to edit that bit out, uh, Liam. But, uh, yeah. So you've got a special interest in patients with traumatic brain injury. And these are unique patients because they often have a long-term impairment related to their injury. For example, um, you have a patient, I think you did a podcast for the medical students and you talked about having someone under your care for 25 years. Uh, What's it like being a doctor who looks after patients with complex medical conditions for so long? Yeah, look, it's been a great privilege for me to look after these patients. Um, I I have been at Epworth for for over a quarter of a century and... uh, as a, as a junior consultant, I, I recall this patient uh, that I looked after, I think I'd been a consultant for just a couple of years, and uh, he was a young man that had had a high-speed motor vehicle accident and a, a severe traumatic brain injury. And remarkably, he's got back to independent living, um, he's driving, um, but he's had challenges over the years, and uh, it's been a, a real honour to look after him uh, for all these years, um, helping him sort of overcome challenges that, that arise uh, for such patients. And I think 
often these patients are very well supported by their funding bodies, be it the Transport Accident Commission or WorkCover, who really support the work we do here in rehabilitation uh, to provide sort of lifelong care. Um, it's been a great honour for me to work with Professor John Olver here at, uh, at Ipworth Healthcare and really a great team working together, both in inpatients but also in the community, as you mentioned. So patients like that obviously need to set some goals for their care and that's a key feature of rehabilitation medicine, but the goals can be very different for the patients you see. You could have a 65-year-old post-op knee replacement or a 25-year-old quadriplegic following a diving accident. How do you help tailor patients' goals to form part of their acute and long-term treatment? Yeah, look, I think that's a key part of our role as, as rehab physicians is looking at really sort of patient-centred goals. I think often as, as rehabilitation physicians in our teams, we can come up with what we think are the patient's goals, but they don't always align. So very much we meet with the patients and we really establish what their, their goals are and, and they change over time. So certainly, you know, what might be not a focus for them at one stage may then become a focus further down the track. So their goals change as well. But I think it's a key sort of consultation we have with our patients is the first one, where we really get to meet them to, to establish rapport and to be really sort of collaboratively working together on, on sort of patient-centered goal setting. I assume those con those first consults are quite long. Could you give an example or sort of your your method of, of working with the patient to establish those early goals? Yeah, look, I, I think for me, the way I, I work is to, I, I always start very, very open and uh, try to get a really good feel of where the patient's up to, you know, and, and yes, a lot of it is, is medical, but it, it's really working out what, what their goals are, what, what their both short-term and longer-term goals are. And as I said, sometimes you can really be uh, surprised uh, in that what we would think, uh, having worked in the area for a long time, would be uh, a focus for the patients. They don't, don't always align. So one um, particular group that in rehabilitation medicine we're working with increasingly are patients with cancer. And I think that's a, a, a good example where a patient might have a not a great prognosis and we have to be very targeted at, at, at what's relevant um, for, for those patients. So they're, they're, a, they're really sort of a key group where I think we have a lot to offer, but again, we have to be very targeted and appropriate in our, in our sort of goal setting, yeah. working collaboratively. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, medicine's a partnership between the doctor and the patient. If people don't want to take their pills or have an operation, it's going to be hard for them to, to get better with the most appropriate care from the perspective of the expert like you. So perhaps it's most true of rehab medicine that it's really hard to establish a therapeutic relationship with the patient if they don't want to get better. So do you have any strategies to overcome things when the patient's not sort of meeting their goals or, yeah. or struggling to find the... Uh, inspiration to achieve them? Yeah, again, it, it, it can be very challenging. Um, my senior colleague here, John Olver, uh, has his first law of rehabilitation is uh, you can't rehabilitate a patient who doesn't want to be rehabilitated. So again, it, it's really working together, looking at, I guess, trying to promote a patient's uh, a client's insight, which can often be difficult sometimes, particularly with traumatic brain injury, as a result of um, uh, frontal lobe uh, pathology, our patients don't have 
great insight. Uh, we have to work together with families promoting that as well. What's a feature of traumatic brain injury is that insight gradually improves progressively down the track. So as I mentioned earlier, sometimes a burst of rehabilitation may not be feasible or appropriate in the early setting, but then can be uh, appropriate down the track as a client's insight sort of improves. So it's, again, trying to establish that rapport, the importance of that, that early initial assessment, and really trying to work collaboratively and being there for the patient. And as I said, we, we're very fortunate to have a system in place where we're able to review patients in the longer term. And again, very grateful to the funding bodies who will support this over the longer term. So it's about getting in there early and establishing a good relationship yeah. with the patient, but also their family too. Absolutely. And uh, what we do, certainly with our traumatic brain injury patients, is I like to have a meeting with myself and my registrar our nurse unit manager and the social worker with the patient very early on. Yep. Um, sometimes, uh, Liam, when patients are at the acute hospitals where they have multiple procedures involved with a number of different units, it's really important to, to go through all of that and have an early meeting, working collaboratively and establishing goals very early in the process. And I, I've, again, in, in my, my practice, I think that that's been really a great thing to, to institute because you may have longer term ongoing relationships with these patients and families for, for many, many years. So all of your medical students will be very familiar with the World Health Organization's International Classification of Function, Disability and Health, namely the ICF model. So in addition to body functions and structures, how important is thinking about activity and participation restriction when thinking about caring for someone with a health condition? Thanks, um, Liam, very much for bringing that up. You, know, you must have been listening to my lecture, actually. So that's, uh, <laughs> Of course. Thank you very much. No, that's good. So, yeah, in rehab, we do focus on the, uh, the WHO's International Classification of Function, Disability and Health. So we may, for example, have a client that ha has essentially an irreversible impairment, such as a left hemiplegia secondary to a right middle cerebral artery stroke, for example. So whilst we can't necessarily uh, modify the impairment, our work as rehabilitation physicians is to really look at promoting a return to function, and that's minimising disability, which is now called activity limitation, and promoting return to society and those uh, vocational, avocational interests that clients have had prior to the accident. We used to call that that handicap. So it's, it's really a different way of sort of looking at things, if you like. And it's great, you know, that you're promoting this in the orthopod, because certainly when I was a medical student, we didn't have a lot of exposure to rehabilitation medicine. And I think within society, the community has not a lot of understanding necessarily about what we do. You know, so I always introduce myself as a rehabilitation physician and it's quite uh, interesting to see what people have, you know, what, what, what patients and their families perceive we do. So it's really looking at perhaps not, not changing an irreversible impairment, but promoting improved function, a return to living and return to, to life in many ways. Well, let's get a better idea of, of what you do and, and focus in on, on more on some of the orthopedic and musculoskeletal things that you'd manage. So the big three of, of musculoskeletal rehab are hip fractures, elective joint replacements and osteoarthritis management. How important is it for you as a rehab physician to work alongside 
uh, orthopedic surgeons or rheumatologists or even sports doctors in the management of these conditions? Yeah, I've um, worked largely in um, inpatient rehabilitation and, and um, outpatient community for patients following elective joint replacements and uh, we might even talk a little bit about that later but um, I've been very fortunate to run an inpatient unit here and it's been great to to work very closely, particularly with the orthopaedic surgeons. I've learned a lot from them and I think certainly the and my patients are very grateful that we do work as a team um, and I'm fortunate here at Epworth because the, our unit is co-located with the acute surgical unit as well. So I think it's been great to learn from them, um, to work together with, with the orthopaedic surgeons particularly. Um, Liam, they always seem to answer my phone when I ring, so maybe I'm doing something right. Uh, but um, again, you know, they're, they're a great group of people and certainly as a junior consultant, I learned a lot from some of the senior orthopaedic surgeons at the time. Also, working with rheumatologists, often these patients might have a knee replacement, for example, but have significant uh, rheumatoid arthritis, so working collaboratively is really good. I don't do as much work in, in the sports area. Um, some of my colleagues do, but I think that's, again, a, an area of, of focus for our, our um, rehabilitation physicians. Yeah, so I think working collaboratively, working with the team and, and also increasingly um, some patients with elective joint replacements are, are older with more comorbidities. So working together with some of the perioperative physicians is really important as well. Yeah, there's a real, um, you know, I, I didn't really realise how many people can be involved in the one yeah. patient. I think a lot of students might think about osteoarthritis or, or just orthopaedics in general yeah. and forget that there's all those other people that yeah. are involved to help yeah. the person. No, absolutely. And I think, as I say, very much it's it's, it's working collaboratively as part of a team. And uh, But certainly my sort of close association with some of the orthopaedic surgeons I think has been very beneficial because I've become familiar with their sort of practices and protocols and... Uh, and, and I think it can only help help patient care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we'll focus on orthopaedics. So what would one of the key things I would, I would like to learn about from you and, of course, anyone else who's listening to this podcast um, is the key principles in, in hip fracture rehabilitation and how the rehabilitation phase of treatment differs between younger and older patients. For sure. So certainly I was head of rehabilitation at Western Health for many years and we saw a large number of patients that had undergone uh, hip, hip, fra uh, hip fracture surgery and I was very fortunate I actually used to go on the award round once a week with the orthopaedic team which was which was just great so I think with hip fracture patients I think there have been great advances in in the care of these patients so I think key things would be sort of early surgery to promote weight bearing uh, following following this surgery and I think involving a geriatrician, particularly in the perioperative management, has really promoted care of these patients. And it's, it's really improved, I think, the pathway for these patients. Uh, I remember sort of 20, 25 years ago, these patients, unfortunately, were the ones who were always being, seemed to be being bumped off surgical lists and they might be being done late at night. And, and so um, surgery was often delayed. They were run into more sort of complications post-operatively as well. So I think there's been a lot of work done, really look at the, the ideal pathway for such patients. And I think it, is, it does 
involve. I think geriatricians being involved very early. Then, of course, we would promote early transfer to a subacute setting. And I think for some patients, inpatient rehabilitation would be appropriate. For others, maybe with age-related comorbidities to a geriatric evaluation and management unit. But, and, but there are some patients, of course, that we can get home into the community. So it's, I think, establishing a good pathway within, within your hospital that it's not just inserting the dynamic hip screw or putting in the hemiarthroplasty. It's, again, working as a team, early input from allied health and uh, geriatrician rehabilitation physician involvement. What I always encourage the students to think about is not just the orthopaedic surgery, and of course we're talking to a, a group here that are very interested in orthopaedic surgery, and again there have been tremendous advances in, in surgery for these patients as well. But it's, it's answering two particular questions. Why did the patient fall and why did the patient fracture? So what can we do to optimise bone health uh, following this sort of surgery and what can we do to minimise falls? When I was at Western, I always reflected sometimes that uh, I'd, say, I'd be asked to see a patient uh, um, following a hip fracture, and I think, oh, I remember you from uh, you know a couple of years ago when you broke your other hip or had a pelvic fracture. So I reflected a, a bit on you know what can we do to look at those key issues? Why did the patient fall? Why did the patient fracture? And again, I think increasingly, Liam, over time, there have been great improvements and looking at those issues. Well, there's certainly been improvements in osteoarthritis management and along with former guests of the podcast, Professors David Hunter, Rochelle Bookbinder and Peter Chung, you're one of the co-authors of the Royal Australian College of GP guidelines for the management of knee and hip osteoarthritis. Um, I've talked to the others about the rheumatological and orthopaedic approach to managing hip and knee osteoarthritis, both for the patients that don't have an operation or the ones that are going post-op from an arthroplasty, but what can you tell me about rehabilitation interventions for hip and knee osteoarthritis? Look, it was a great honour to represent our faculty, uh, Australasian Faculty of Rehab Medicine, on this working party. I learnt heaps from David, Rochelle and Peter, to be honest, who are truly incredible in their knowledge of the evidence base uh, for certain interventions. So. As a, as a rehab physician, I was really, really honoured to represent the faculty um, and thank them for, for including uh, our faculty in that working party. I think a lot of our work here is again to work with our allied health colleagues and to think about some sort of interventions potentially con conservatively prior to any any you know elective joint replacement surgery so i think we have a have a role as rehab physicians in again assessment and management of these patients in the preoperative phase i th i think there have been a lot of advances in this area as well liaison with um, you know physiotherapy obviously, and looking at optimising physical function, um, particularly may, maybe before a, a, a knee joint replacement, a lot around some lifestyle management, occupational therapy, looking at the home situation. And I think in, increasingly, I'd like to think that we have an increasing role in this area. But I think it's, again, working with, with a team of colleagues, optimising health and well-being and function um, before before surgery. You've, you've just mentioned sort of the pre-op phase yeah, where yeah. patients might be trying to reduce their weight or increase yeah, their exercise yeah. load to try and 
um, ease the burden of the osteoarthritis on their, their joint. But what about your role for the patients if they once they do decide to undergo joint replacement? What do you actually do with the patients once they've had their operation and you've, you've met with the orthopaedic surgeons because they answered your phone call <laughs> and, and you've seen the patient on your round. I mean, you have to get around this morning, so you might yes. have seen some patients with arthroplasty. Yeah. What, what sort of stuff do you do in yeah. the hospital? Yeah, so I think uh, I'm very fortunate here, Liam, and it's just the way my, my practice is that I do, I can see patients here at, at Epworth Healthcare on the surgical ward and within a day of their surgery. And the orthopaedic surgeons, I see, are very happy for me to, to, to assess them and to, to advise regarding the rehabilitation requirements, even at that very early stage. So usually it would be sort of a full assessment. I would explain potential pathways, be it uh, for inpatient rehabilitation or alternatively for discharge to the community for um, out outpatient or community-based rehabilitation as well. And I think that a lot of my work is, is, is in education and, and supporting the patient through these issues. For me, as a physician, it's looking obviously at some of the complications around you know, management and prevention of uh, venous thromboembolism. Pain management's really critical in these patients as well. And supporting them, again, with their expectations about, about recovery. Um, I used to be a runner, uh, Liam. Uh, unfortunately, I, I can't run now, but I always describe this as more the New York Marathon rather than the stall gift, you know. And uh, despite great work preoperatively by the surgeon, sometimes the, the patients aren't exactly aware of the process involved. So very happy to assess patients early on, looking at the different pathways, be it discharge home, to community, um, or, or to inpatient rehabilitation. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense now. I, I, I would like to touch on uh, inpatient rehab, which I've got a question for you, but I might leave that to a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, so rehab principles are similar for hip fracture and joint replacement patients, but unlike a hip fracture, an elective joint replacement allows the patient the opportunity to carry out prehab, like what we were talking about before. Is there such a thing as prehabilitation medicine? There, there is, and I think increasingly as rehab physicians we should have more, more role in this. It's, it's certainly, and I, I uh, collaborate, spoke to a couple of my colleagues recently about this, and there's variable funding for it. I think there's more funding for this in the public sector at the moment rather than private. So I think that, as I said, to promote uh, recovery and enhance outcomes following elective joint replacement, Involvement with a rehabilitation physician prior to surgery is, is a really good idea. We might come come to this, Liam. It's interesting. I, I was very fortunate a couple of years ago uh, to get an Epworth scholarship and I went to the Cleveland Clinic, um, uh, which is a great centre in the States, of course, and um, we looked at accelerated programs for these patients. And obviously in the States, there's a great driver to, to have patients being discharged early and to minimise length of stay um, both in the acute orthopaedic centre and also in inpatient rehabilitation if required. So they've done a lot of work over there particularly at a lot of education and work prior to surgery. I think there's some evidence that sort of says that the need for inpatient rehabilitation, and we'll call that, we'll, we'll talk maybe uh, to address that later, as you mentioned, but is really governed by the patient's expectations and 
understanding prior to the surgery. So a lot of work was done is done over there with uh, really having a lot of input from the family and the client pre-operatively. So everything's sort of in place for the post-operative phase. I learned a lot from uh, from that trip to the Cleveland Clinic. Yeah. Actually, I. Uh, I um, missed the baseball. It was it was washed out, unfortunately. It was oh. the first game of the year, and uh, and I was going to watch the Cleveland Indians, although they've been re- renamed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, it was washed out, so that was the disappointment. But I was very grateful to Epworth for supporting me on this uh, this scholarship over there to look at uh, approaches to these patients uh, in the states. Yeah, I mean, America certainly seems to do things a bit differently. You, yeah. you, you know, I remember hearing about same day joint yeah. replacements. Yeah, so I, I did as well when I was over there. They talked about uh, the patient that was uh, was having surgery, and they were discharged twenty three hours later. Yeah. yeah, and the twenty three hours, of course, was so that they didn't rack up that one day, yeah. um, which made them an inpatient. So, uh, you know, I think that. It's, it's really looking at the individual, looking at their comorbidities, uh, looking at their social situations. So honestly, over the years, Liam, there have been so many advances in, in, in this area. Yeah, I mean, yeah. how have you seen rehab change, particularly for these patients over yeah. your journey as yeah. a doctor? Look, I, I reflect on the early days when patients uh, had their hip replacement done, they'd, be, they'd all come into hospital the, the day before pretty much they might be a good week you know in the surgical ward often they'd be resting in bed for some considerable number of days which can would contribute to all those complications we're aware of related to immobility and uh, and and clot risk and then they would all come to inpatient rehabilitation and i think with advances in surgery and and perioperative care a lot more education preoperatively. It, it's really changed significantly over the time, which I think is for the good. You know, I really do. I always remember one of my orthopaedic surgeons, for example, would only ever let his patients go home via ambulance following their hip replacement. Wouldn't even let them go. Uh, they weren't allowed to be um, driven home. They had to go in an ambulance. So I think we've come a long, long way from those days. Um, we have far fewer complications around thromboembolism, hip, hip dislocation, we very seldom see these days as well. So I think there have been just absolutely great, great advances in, in, in care, um, which is which is just fantastic. Although I still think there's a, there is a role for inpatient rehabilitation in a, in a, in a subgroup of patients. How do you help? And, I, and this, this is, I'm just thinking about my dad here and being a bit selfish, yeah, trying yeah. to, because try, he does listen to this sometimes. Does um, he, is he, is he a Richmond supporter as well, Liam? Uh, he's, he's a, he's a Richmond supporter, uh, of course. Yeah. He's, he, you can always edit that bit out, but uh, that's <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> he is constantly worried that he's got, he's had a hip replacement yes. and he's constantly worried that he's going to dislocate it. Yeah, yeah. And, but this was a while ago that he yeah, had his, yeah. his procedure. And he's fine yeah. and he's walking a lot. He's lost 20 kilos or something. Right. Yeah. Um, he's probably walked so much that he's given himself a stress fracture. Yes. But yeah. he's still worried about his hip dislocating because yes. he heard someone someone yeah. else had happened to them or, yeah. and they heard someone else or something. How yeah. do you, how would you sort of, because I try and tell him yeah. it's okay, yeah. you'll be fine. It's probably better than it was before. Yes. When how, how do you sort of manage these problems with patients when they have that sort of, stuck in their mind yeah. that this awful thing could happen yeah. even though it's really unlikely yeah. look i'm glad your, your dad's doing so well other than the support of the tigers uh, <laughs> liam but uh look i think that 
in my in my understanding, as I say, with advances in surgery, the risk is 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 much less. Certainly, again, in my reading, there's a higher risk in in revision surgery. Uh, maybe some patients with underlying cognitive problems or neurological conditions, but really, that the, there's far less risk. So, I think that he he may benefit. Or this is where seeing somebody even if maybe a physiotherapist who could at least give him good advice and, and reassurance and obviously seeing the orthopaedic surgeon who would be very reassuring I'm sure as well but it's it's the whole idea as you mentioned with with hip and knee replacements is get back to doing the things that you want to do and I think that the risk of dislocation I always quote is, is, is less than one percent these days and so it, it's not wanting the hip replacement to preclude him doing the things that he wants to do you know obviously we we wouldn't want him uh, um out with tom lynch um on the, in the forward pocket for the tigers but oh, uh, i think some opposition teams might like that <laughs> i can't uh, see him clunking so too many. i think it's more around sort of reassurance it's a very rare phenomenon but um again being realistic about the expectations with this surgery yeah and I'm sure, uh, Lame, you'll give him good, good guidance as well. So. Oh, I'll try to. He doesn't listen to anyone. <laughs> so the highlight of the podcast for me this is a question I really wanted to ask yeah. you about because I did speak to a health economist, Dr. Chris Schilling, and we talked about the increasing inpatient rehab rates after joint replacements, particularly total knee replacements in private hospitals. And Dr. Schilling's work showed that healthcare provider-related factors are three times more important than patient factors for predicting inpatient rehabilitation. From your perspective as a rehabilitation physician involved in private hospital care, how do you ensure that post-operative orthopaedic rehabilitation is appropriate and high value? Yeah, no, and that's a really key question and it's one that's uh, really important to address in, in this area. As, as mentioned, I think, first of all, there's been tremendous advances in care, both preoperatively, intraoperatively and, and postoperatively. And I think that, that consequently there are a greater number of patients, clearly, that can be discharged home directly uh, rather than having what is a costly is costly in patient rehabilitation. We have to acknowledge that in, in the private sector. I think that certainly involving rehab physicians, I think, is very useful, both, as I've mentioned, with potential prehabilitation programs and in the early postoperative phase is really key. I think encouraging the health funds to promote such involvement and pathways that, that don't involve inpatient rehabilitation is very important for the patients as well. So I think whilst, again, in the public sector, we have in different states funding for prehabilitation, for what we would call in-reach rehabilitation services, particularly in New South Wales, where a rehab team might see a patient in an acute ward for example. These interventions are well-funded. Well, there is some funding for them um, in the public system, which we don't have as much in, in private. So our Rehabilitation Medicine Society of Australia and New Zealand, RAMSAMS, we call it, has a group that has developed a position statement on that. So I can refer you to that. But essentially, patients that we, our group, uh, RAMSAMS, would consider more appropriate for a home-based rehabilitation program would be those, say, under the age of 70, no post-operative complications, good social supports, and I think that's really key. 
not living alone and having reasonable function preoperatively with few comorbidities. So that would be a younger, we would call a younger group of patients that we think would be absolutely appropriate if if funded appropriately and if there was a system in place to triage those patients in, in that sort of category to a community-based program. Again, it's a lot about the, the expectations preoperatively, the, the team working together to support that, that pathway and, and the funding for that. So certainly our society has, has put this position statement together where there is some evidence for, for that group doing well within, within patients. As I mentioned, I still think, Liam, there's a role for, in, for inpatient rehabilitation, older patients, comorbidities, maybe living alone, and those that uh, are always going to be slower. So uh, I think that for that group, certainly inpatient in still has a role, um, and that's where I, where I see it fits. But I think involvement with the, the, uh, the rehab physician early on triaging a lot of education preoperatively and you know really selecting for inpatient rehabilitation those where there are significant functional you know functional goals that we can work on and certainly um, we think we get really good outcomes from from this group but I think as I as I mentioned it's it's been there have been so many advances and I think that certainly looking at community and uh, discharge home within with an outpatient or community rehab is, is certainly very appropriate for, for a number of patients. Wonderful. So it's, it's um, I've learned so much from talking <laughs> to you today because it sounds like it's really about identifying early yeah. what, um, you know, whether it's, you know, we have sort of algorithms or all sorts of things that say emergency doctors use in the acute setting when they're quickly examining a patient whether or not they should send them for a scan or do do things. It sounds like for these sort of patients who, who are going to have a joint replacement, uh, and I'm sure there are predictive tools out there to estimate whether or not this person should should be thinking about having inpatient rehab or, or even how long their rehab course is going to be. You know, even just thinking about ACL ruptures, for example. You know, some people come back in eight months, some people come back in 12 months and all yeah. that. So, you know, there's, everyone's... And these are, you know, often um, thinking about, say, footballers. These could be fit, young, healthy people. Mm. Um, so everyone's different. Yeah. Look, I think it's as I said. I think the the earlier, you know, if if these things conditions are considered and addressed preoperatively, and there's a lot of education, I think it really helps with the patient's um, understanding and expectations. And I think involving a rehab physician early in that in that process is really really useful. I think. The most challenging assessment sometimes I have learned, to be honest, is when I go and see somebody at, at day one and we start talking about rehab and the patient doesn't have a lot of idea, you know, they haven't really thought through a, a number of these issues. So I think it can only help the outcomes if they have a lot more sort of, well, if there's good education and a lot of these issues are addressed. I think even in, in the public sector, certainly there are, certainly when I was at Western Health, there were the, the pre-admission clinic. Um, and whilst it's very important, of course, to see the anaesthetist and uh, have all those issues addressed, I think involvement with allied health and rehabilitation in that early stage as well. So, so the patient can be thinking around uh, 
you know, I, I always reflect on it very, very, very seldom happens these days, Liam, but the, the patient that I see who the family thought, oh, we might get the bathroom renovated while she's having a knee done or something like that. And uh, it's not, not a great time to do that. So, um, look, I've been incredibly happy in doing this sort of work. It's been something that I've really enjoyed. And, and again, what we do in rehab is really working with teams, working collaboratively, um, and and it's been been a great career for me. So you've you've spoken, I think, particularly my dad, for example, a lot of lot of patient education. But if students want to learn more about rehab medicine, you mentioned Ram Sands. Um, yeah. Where are some of the resources yeah. that you could direct no, us? Absolutely, and and certainly, um, Liam, myself, or or any of my colleagues, I'm sure would be very happy to um, to to meet with with students that may be keen on a career in, in rehab medicine. When I lecture the Austin students, as I did did with you a couple of months ago, um, I always make the comment that if anybody's interested in, in this career or pathway, and uh, I'm really lucky in that often I'll get a, a few students who will make contact and I'm, I'm, I'll make the personal offer um, and, and my colleagues would be the same. We have um, Ramsams, we have our faculty is the Australasian Faculty of Rehabilitation Medicine and we are a faculty within the College of Physicians. It's a four-year training program and it's, it's uh, again, my registrars that I work with, again, would be very happy to support students um, as well. In Victoria, um, I'm the director of RMTV, which is Rehabilitation Medicine Training Victoria, which is uh, funded through the state government to support the training of rehabilitation uh, registrars within Victoria. That's based at Austin Health, um, but again, we have a website that um, talks a bit about our program and, um, and our specialty. So. Hopefully, uh, as a result of the author pod, we've got a few uh, a few Melbourne supporters, of course, but uh, we've encouraged a few people to look at this specialty. Okay. It's certainly been personally very um, rewarding to me over the last uh, 25 years or so. Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time today, Associate Professor Ponsford. That's a pleasure, Liam. It's great, and thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the author pod. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by the handle at SomaGradGroup or on our website, somagradgroup.com. See you in the next episode.